Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. Daniel chapter 3. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image with King, which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. So at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, harp, and lyre, in symphony with all kinds of music, all the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever! You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now if you are ready, at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. 
Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace." Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke concerning, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire, and the satraps, administrators, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him, and they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made an ash heap, because there is no other god who can deliver like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word this morning. You may be seated. We've been studying the book of Daniel um, now for a couple weeks. And as we have been going through this study um, of Daniel, we've considered the fact that God is revealing himself, the God of Daniel, um, through the life of this um, impactful man, if you would. This man who was submitted to the, the will of God in his life and what he was doing. But as we saw that in the beginning, we saw, again, Daniel probably, potentially, I think, at least having an impact as well upon his friends, Azariah, Mishael, and Hananiah, who received the Babylonian or Chaldean names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. <clears throat> and when we then turn to considering uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dream and then Daniel's interpretation of the dream, it really focused more on Daniel at that time. But if you remember Daniel, the first thing he did when he heard about it from Arioch, went back and told Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and the four of them prayed together, and God chose to give the... The, the dream and its interpretation to Daniel. And Daniel said as much when he went to Nebuchadnezzar. <clears throat> and so it's easy for us to be looking at Daniel here and his friends 
But what I want to submit to you is something that I shared last week, and that is that in the midst of all this, while we're reading it, what's really happening is what we're, we're, we are being told is that God is dealing with Nebuchadnezzar. And so in your sermon note sheets, I've called this God's operation uh, or Operation Nebuchadnezzar, and that God is, is working on Nebuchadnezzar um, for Nebuchadnezzar to understand in fullness who he is, that who God is, who Yahweh is, and that Yahweh is the one true God, just as he did for Egypt, for Pharaoh, and for all the nations back in the days of Moses. But Nebuchadnezzar's got a long way to go. He's a pagan king. It's not like it's a believer who's known Jesus Christ for a period of years, and God's what? Still knocking off your rough edges, right? For Nebuchadnezzar, he's the, the, not the king of kings. I was corrected in my terminology last week. A king of kings. is not the king of kings because Jesus is the king of kings. But in that day, he was the most powerful man, okay? And so he was that guy, okay, that for the, the most powerful man in the world who is a pagan, they worshiped him. It is very easy to accept that. And so the most powerful rival that we have to God is self. And so before we start looking at Daniel 3, I want you to go back to Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14. And I want to read a prophetic portion to you. Um, so you've got to understand, again, Isaiah wrote um, on, the, on the inside in the days of Hezekiah. Okay, So again... Babylon wasn't the major power at the time. It was Babylon in the last days of Hezekiah that came to visit Hezekiah, but the world power at that time was Assyria. And it wasn't until the days um, of later that um, Babylon would begin to take over the reins. And so I want to bring in a little bit of what I brought in in uh, the first chapter on that well, as well, just to give you a little background history. That it was in the days of Hezekiah, remember when Assyria came to attack? And Sennacherib basically said, there's no other god that can stand. I mean, I'm, I'm the most powerful guy. Who's Yahweh? Come on, guys. And so what happened when Hezekiah was king? And, and, and Sennacherib brought the, the, the whole army of, of Assyria against them. What happened one night? God dealt with the Assyrians a big time by what? Killed the entire army. 180,000, okay? What do you think happens to the, the um, world powers when they lose 180,000 troops at one shot? Say again, Gil? They're not so world powerful. All of a sudden, it starts to become a void, okay? And so that's when we see Josiah coming out because there was a... So the King James is wrong um, in how it says... So I want to come back to that as well because um, it's all based upon the, the, the Hebrew letter M, Mame. And so um, what happens is that uh, Hezekiah, he gets visited by the Babylonians, right? And so the Babylonians are increasing, and they're going against the Assyrians in Carchemish. But the Assyrians are depleted. They've already lost Nineveh, and they're being pushed back. And so Egypt realizes that Babylon's on a terror, and they've got to be stopped. So Egypt goes up to help the Assyrians. And anyways... um, they go running back with their tail tucked between their legs, and that's when he um, wipes out Josiah because, or um, Josiah, yeah, because Josiah um, had come out to d- deflect them, and he got killed in the midst of it. 
Anyways, so Hezekiah, so what I'm saying is you've got all this period of history. You have Hezekiah, then there's Manasseh, then his sons, and then there's Hezekiah. So there's all this history that goes before Babylon, before Nebuchadnezzar, okay? So as we read Isaiah 14, you need to realize this is hundreds of years prior to it being fulfilled, okay? Beginning of verse 3. It shall come to pass in the day Yahweh gives you rest from your sorrow and from your fear in the hard bondage in which you were made to serve, so, in other words, Israel is going to be what? Taken into captive, and they're going to be hard bondage, and they're going to finally be released. So, when all that happens, you are made to serve, that you will take up this proverb against the king of Babylon. Interesting, huh? And say, how the oppressor has ceased, the golden city ceased. Yahweh has broken the staff of the wicked, the scepter of the rulers. He who struck the people in wrath with a continual stroke. He who rolled the nations in anger. And persecuted, and no one hinders. The whole earth is at rest and quiet. They break forth into singing. So what's it saying about the king of Babylon so far? What kind of guy is this? He's a mild-mannered kind of guy, right? No, he's not. Look, it says he's, he's, he's striking the people with wrath and continual stroke. He ruled the nations in anger. He was an angry guy. You didn't cross him. Okay? And so God's saying this is what this guy's going to be like. Verse 8, indeed, the cypress trees rejoice over you and the cedars of Lebanon, saying, since you were cut down, no woodsman has come up against us. Hell from beneath is excited about you to meet you at your coming. It stirs up the dead for you. All the chief ones of the earth, it is raised up from the thrones. All the kings of the nations, they shall speak and say to you, have you also become as weak as we? Have you become like us? Now, remember this next week when we get into chapter 4. And Nebuchadnezzar has the dream, and he's sent out like an animal for seven years, okay? Have you become like one of us, right? Your pomp is brought down to Sheol, and the sound of your stringed instruments. The maggot is spread over you, spread under you, and worms cover you. But now there's this transition. This is still to the king of Babylon. But note the spiritual significance of this. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the Most High. Interesting, isn't it? The Most High God. I will be like the Most High. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lower depths of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you, saying, Is this the man who made the earth tremble? Who shook kingdoms? Who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities? Who did not open the house of his prisoners? All the kings of the nations, all of them, sleep in glory, everyone in his own house. But you are cast out of your grave like an abominable branch, like the garment of those who are slain, thrust through with a sword who go down to the stones of the pit. Like a corpse trodden underfoot, you will not be joined with them in burial because you have destroyed your land and slain your people. The brood of evildoers shall never be named. Prepare slaughter for his children because of the iniquity of their fathers, lest they rise up and possess the land and fill the face of the world with cities. We're going to see that chapter play out over the next three chapters of Daniel. As we look at... Um, this fiery furnace incident as we consider um, his, his dream and being turned into an animal. And then as, as we consider Belshazzar um, orgy um, and, and God handing the nation over to Persia at that, 
on that very evening. It's just an amazing thing when you consider God's word and you consider the fulfillment. It's kind of fun, you know, when we, we, you know, right now we're looking toward the end days and we're kind of looking forward to some prophecies and they're like, how is this going to play out? And we don't really know. Best time to know prophecies is after it happens, right? But, but the fact is it's fun when we see some of the prophecies that God had fulfilled and he fulfills them specifically and literally as he had declared them. Does that make sense? Okay, so as we come into chapter 3 now, again, oh, I forgot to turn the slide when we did that one. There it is, okay? Because as you can see up here, he has this dream, right? And so he has this, this image in his brain that, that Daniel had told him about. But, but somewhere along the line, there was a disconnect. Because at the end of the interpretation of the dream, what does, what does Nebuchadnezzar do? Say again? Well, before that, before he builds the image. In chapter 3, what did he do? Or in chapter 2, what did he do? At the end of chapter 2. He worshipped God. He gave glory to God. The Most High God. The one who is the revealer of secrets. There's none like him. And yet, somewhere along the line, this unbeliever acted like an unbeliever. Now, wouldn't it be nice if you had the excuse and I had the excuse? Well, it's just I'm an, I'm an unbeliever and I'm thinking like an unbeliever. But you know what? Judge not lest you what? Be judged. How many times is it that we like to set ourselves up as God? We want to be like the Most High God. Every time we want our way rather than God's way, what we're really saying is what? I'd rather be God. I'd rather have people do it my way. So Nebuchadnezzar is just doing exactly what a pagan king in his situation would do. He hears all this but he realizes that that daniel said you O king are what you're you are the one of gold and after you is going to rise up an inferior kingdom because yours is what yours is the greatest i mean and, and god has given this to you i mean the god of all gods right has chosen to give you this information wow i'm somebody that's kind of cool did you ever hear about the guy who was a really humble guy and the people at his uh, employment, um, Roy thought a lot about him, and so they gave him uh, a, a gift one day. It was a button. It said, the world's most humblest guy. And he hated it. And he got his, oh, man. He took it home, he threw it in his sock drawer. But every day he's getting his socks out, and he sees this thing, right? And he starts to think, well, it was really nice of them to do this for me. I really appreciate that. And he closes the, the drawer. But eventually one day he looks at it, and he says, you know what? They gave this thing to me because they wanted me to wear it. I should put it on. Yeah. So he puts it on, and he takes it to work, and he walks in the door, and you know what happens? They walked up, and they took it off him. Because he ceased to be humble. Someone came up to me once years ago and said, you know, Bob, you're really a humble guy. I said, remember, hum- even humility can be prideful. Think about that one. But there's Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, he has every right not to be humble. He's a pagan king. He is the world power. Everybody has to do what he says. Even God recognizes it. That sounds warped, doesn't it? But that's how he's thinking. Even God recognized who I am. This is really kind of cool. And so somewhere along the line, that went from just a fleeting thought to a concrete thought. Think about that. Isn't that how it happens? Sin happens to you? It begins as a what? Just kind of a fleeting thought, and you spend more time dwelling on it? 
until all of a sudden you put legs to it. And then arms to it and head to it. And you get what I'm saying, right? And all of a sudden, boom, there it is. And you think to yourself, how did this ever happen? One of the things, again, clearly we listened to on the way down and, and stuff like that was on moral purity. And how does this happen? How do leaders fall? Um, it's a slow fade. I always appreciated a song from Fireproof from Casting Crown. It's a slow fade. It doesn't happen overnight. There begins to be this process. And so for, for Nebuchadnezzar, this process then became reality. And that was to then the chagrin and the dilemma of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, right? That all of a sudden they have to deal with this king's snotty pridefulness. Think about it. Do you have to deal with any of that today? Do you have to deal any time with where governing authorities to take their power into their own minds and they do things to engrandize themselves? And then all of a sudden we're forced to deal with it? I'm not going to go into details. You can put whatever you want into those dotted lines. But in the end, what's happening is they're worshiping them themselves. And they want everybody else to worship that concept as well. So for them, the dilemma was, first of all, that Nebuchadnezzar made this image, right? Now, this image was 90 feet tall, 60 cubits. A cubit is the distance from your finger to your elbow. It's approximately 18 inches, okay? So you take a foot and a half times by the 60, you get 90, okay? 90 feet. Now, this ceiling is what our, most houses at least used to be normally, right? Eight-foot ceilings. Okay, and so you would have about a foot in between the floors, and so you figure a ninety-foot thing is a ten-story a 10 building. So, so that kind of gives you a little perspective of where this thing's at. Okay, so if you have a house that has nine-foot ceilings, then there's ten foot in between, then it's only nine. You know, however we want to play that one out. Okay, so, so you just play that one out. Think about how tall this thing is. It's only nine foot wide, though. It's not really engineeringly structurally built. Okay, okay. But it's built like a man, right? It's, it's kind of, it's, it's built repre- representative, okay? And so it's nine foot in, in its girth, okay? And it's 90 feet tall. Not something that's going to be easily looked past, okay? So we have his image. But then secondly, we have, oh, it's inspiration. We've already talked about it, its dimensions. And then his decree. The, the decree that Nebuchadnezzar, first of all, puts out, the essence of the decree is to worship to worship him. Many of the nations had emperor worship. Pharaoh was a god to the people. And so they would have this. And so this image, though we're not specifically told, probably looked a lot like him, like Nebuchadnezzar. Okay? And he makes this image and he places it up because he's the head of gold, right? And so so they, they, they make it, they place it up, and now every single individual, we're told specifically, we're going to get to the, the extent of it in a moment, have got to bow down in what? Worship. They're going to make a decision who they're going to worship. The extent of the decree. Well, what's the, the extent of this decree? It's to every what? Every person who heard the sound of the orchestra. Now, Every person who sound, heard the sound of the orchestra. But what does that really, how does that play out to every person? What did, what did Nebuchadnezzar also tell them to do? 
Look at the details. What did he tell them to do? Well, fall down and worship. Before that, when, when he first decides that he's going to have his decree, he sends heralds out, right? And, and, and they're gathering what? Everyone to Babylon. Do you see it? So every people, every nation, every language, they're being brought, okay? So remember, Babylon is, is over all these, they're, they're taking out all these nations, okay? So they're bringing all these different peoples together. And now he's saying, okay, I want everybody to be brought in, at least representationally, okay, to here so that everybody will what? Will bow to me. Will worship me. And so then we have then the final part there, and that is the extreme nature of the decree. And that is, whoever doesn't do it, what? Dies. Doesn't, doesn't die, but we're going to do something special. We're going to build a fiery furnace that's going to be sitting there. Did, I don't know if you guys, how you, if you think like I think sometimes, hopefully not from your perspective. Um, but why did he even do that? Why did he even build a fiery furnace? It was a threat. Why do you have to threaten? Okay, somebody doesn't. There's already a little bit of him that thinks what? There probably, possibly could be what people who what? Who won't obey. Who will rebel against it. And so I have to put the teeth out there ahead of times. Do it or else. But I'm not going to even just say or else. I'm going to give you the or else. And I'm going to have the fiery furnace sitting there. I think this picture is probably pretty close. The concept is that the fiery furnace is probably within the, the same eyesight as the, as the image. You have your choice. Door number one or door number two. You can choose this or you can choose this. Uh, hmm. You say, well, hmm. But think about that now. Think about the dilemma that um, these three guys have, Azariah, Hananiah, Mishael. They're Jewish boys. And they understand the decrees, not only of the king, but they understand the decrees of their God. <clears throat> the law has hundreds of commands and decrees. But there were ten words of the covenant that God gave the Israelites. We commonly refer to as the Ten Commandments. But they were literally ten words of the covenant. It was, this, it was the, the covenant that God was making with Israel. The first of the stipulations, if you would, of the covenant was that they would have no other gods besides him. Not before him, but in his presence. Panim is the, in, his, in his face, before his face. So they would have no other gods before his face. Second one was having that. They were not to make an idol in the form of anything, whether in the heavens above or the earth beneath or the waters below. Third one was they were not supposed to use the name of Yahweh, Yahweh's name meaninglessly, in vain. Because God, Yahweh, would not hold them guiltless who would misuse his name. The fourth one was for them to remember the Shabbat day and to keep it holy. For in six days God created the earth and the seventh day he would then rest, right? So the first four are specifically all dealing with Yahweh. But the first one, the biggie, the biggie. You shall have no other gods in my presence Number two, along with it, you don't have an idol. An idol specifically was something that was carved with the hands in order for people to worship. 
Okay? It's salim, you can, um, and it's really just an image. So the same word is used in Genesis chapter 1, that God made us in his image, in likeness, salim. It's literally a shadow. So like if you go outside, um, and so like I took a picture of um, Anna and, and Glenn made Olaf um, Saturday morning. And um, I think she used up all the snow from the entire neighborhood to make this <laughs> little bitty snowman. Anyways. I went out later, thus I sent the picture to my, my brother and sisters and, and my mom, you know, um, about we got snow, look, they made Olaf, you know. And so I went out later and took a picture of Olaf. It's just a little ice, piece, piece of ice. The ground was dry and a little piece of ice. I said, Olaf's been singing for summer too long. And um, anyways, but in that picture that I took, so there's, you get the ice, right? But in the picture that I took, there's this black thing at the base of my picture, it was my shadow because the sun was behind me as I took the picture. So you knew somebody was there taking the picture because you could see, no, you can't see exactly what it is, but that's what the salim is. The salim is like a shadow. It's like the, 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 the representation of the real, okay? This is a salim, okay? And so what Nebuchadnezzar made was an image. And so they were told that they weren't supposed to make those images to bow down to, okay? It doesn't say they're not allowed to make them. It says they're not allowed to bow down to them, okay? And that's the key to the whole thing. And so, um, so, so he comes, and they now have a decision to make because they're told to do this. So what did they choose? They chose to disregard, disobey the decree of the king. Why? Because in that... Their disagreement, their disobedience to the king was actually what? Obedience to the true king. And so we've been talking about that with First Peter in the discussion uh, um, as we went through chapter 2, and that is that we're supposed to submit to the government and honor the king, but at what point do you not submit? Because Romans ch- chapter 13 tells us to submit to the governing authorities because there's no authority except for that which has been established by God. But Peter and John stood before the Sanhedrin, and they said, we must obey God rather than men. So there's a point where I need to be obedient to the governing authorities to the point where they tell me to do something that what? God told me not to do it. Now, these three guys, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they got to see this play out already. Think about it. When did they see it play out? Not this specific one. But they've already gone here. They've already gone through this. When did they go through it? Chapter 1. Yeah, with the food. Chapter 1. Now, again, I think Daniel was the one who was guiding them with the inspiration of it. I could be wrong. It doesn't matter. But, but we know in chapter 1, they had to come up and they had to agree, at least with Daniel at this moment, that they needed to make a stand because they were going to be eating food that was offered unto the idols. And they didn't want to be contaminated by it. And so they offered then this 10-week trial, right, which the, the um, 10 days, as I say, 10 weeks, yeah, thank you, 10 days, um, this 10-day trial, okay, and God blessed through that. So they saw already God do something miraculous. Then they saw God do something even more miraculous. What did he do? He revealed the dream. Now, he didn't reveal the dream to any one of these three, but they were praying equally. I mean, that's be like... Again, Steve and David and Chuck and I going away for these three days, and we want to, we, and, and we didn't want this necessarily. So, but 
we knew coming out of that 48-hour period that we needed to have a, a picture drawn of the building that we want to look forward to having, right? And, and we don't know which one of the four he may give it to. Does it make sense? But expectantly asking for that. Again, we weren't asking for that. But wouldn't that be incredible? You know, for, and I wouldn't turn around and say, David got it and say, whoa, wow, super spiritual Dan, David. The rest of us are nothings. No, we all four prayed, and we, were be, we would be equally excited that God gave us the what? The answer. So these guys are seeing God's hands already. So they come to this point, and now they have the decision, door number one or door number two. But to choose door number one, that is to worship the image, what are you choosing? To disobey the king. Well, well to disobey the king, but what are you choosing um, if you if you do bow down, if you choose door number one to dis, to to fall down to the the image, what are you really choosing? To disobey God. We need to understand that. When when temptations and trials come our way, it's not a decision in void. Moses, in the end of his letter to the um, to the Israelites in Deuteronomy, tells them to choose life. For God is your life. There's a choice. Life and death, always. From the garden, it was always a choice from life and death. Jeremiah even declares, before what I set before you this day, life and death. It's always a decision of life and death. This is life and death. It doesn't play out anymore. Life and death. Which one are you going to choose? If you choose to bow down and worship this image, you get to live. If you choose not to bow down and worship this image, you will die. Which do you choose? Well, surely God wants me to be preserved so that I can have a greater impact upon this, this heathen nation. And so for this one moment, it won't really matter. God knows where I'm at. He knows in my heart I'm not really bowing down. Isn't that the way we think sometimes? I can bow to this idol, and you can put anything you want in this idol. Sports. Tolls, houses, cars, could be statues, I don't really care. Put whatever you want, anything that you worship, that you bow down to. Lady Liberty. It takes the place of God. Do you know when Israel was finally wiped out, what precipitated them being finally wiped out? That God came and had them eradicated? Idols in the temple. Do you know which one specifically? Which is very interesting here. There was Asherah. The Asherah pole went in. But specifically when Ezekiel goes, he sees them doing something. The tears of, anybody remember? Tammuz. Tammuz. Very good. That's okay. You're there. Does anybody know who Tammuz is? It's a Babylonian god. Ishtar was the queen of heaven who gave birth to Tammuz. Do you get it? And so God is wiping them out by the same individuals who they're taking to gods and, put, and, and bring them alongside. Do you think the world cares anything about you? I mean, from the world's perspective, I'm not talking about individual people. You're a believer in Christ. They want to eat you up. Why is it that we want to bring their gods alongside our God? We think if I just 
compromise right here. If I compromise in this moment, then I can win the bigger battle later. No, you won't. You've already lost. You've already been had. So they make the decision to disobey the decree, to trust in the faithfulness of Yahweh. Matthew 16 is the, the section um, where Jesus says that um, if you give your, um, if you seek to save your life, you will what? You'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you will what? You'll find it. Romans 12, 1 says, Therefore I cease you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you offer your bodies as a what? Living sacrifice, which is your reasonable act of worship. Philippians um, chapter 1, verse 20, um, is where Paul says that whether by life or by death, um, no, sorry, help me out with it. For to me to live is Christ, but that's still not 20, that's 21. Before that, where he says that, um, as, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, for, whether it be by life or by death. By life or by death, God is glorified to be glorified in my body. I have to make the decision every day. I fail so often by choosing self-preservation or what I perceive to be at the moment self-preservation over God's glorification. These guys didn't. They chose to trust in the faithfulness, the chesed of Yahweh, his amuna, over self-preservation. And they make then the, decl- the, the declaration to, to Nebuchadnezzar. What? Our God's what? Our God's able. What God's going to save you from this, guys? He may be the revealer of dreams, but can he deliver you from this? Just so you know, big guy. They probably didn't say that. They're probably thinking it, though. You think you're big and dumb. But you know what? You're just an ant before God. You're not even an ant before God. You're like an amoeba before God. They probably didn't know what amoebas were. But you get what I'm saying? I mean, you're sitting there thinking, oh, man, if God wanted to squash you right now, he could just squash you. Just so you know, O king, our God's able. We believe that he can do this. We believe that he will do this. But just so you know, even if he doesn't do it, our last words to you, we're not worshiping your God. We're worshiping the one true God. Whether he delivers us from this fiery furnace or not, we're not going to do it. Our dying words are going to be declarations of our faith in the one true God. I don't know if you've ever read uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs or if you've studied at all any of the the ones who have gone on before us in um, martyrdom. Michael Sattler um, was an Anabaptist. Um, who was persecuted by the Lutherans, um, by, I think it was Philip Melanchthon. It wasn't Martin Luther at the time, but Philip Melanchthon. And he was paraded through the the streets, and as he was paraded, it goes on his way to be burned. Um, As he's paraded, he was declaring the the glories of Christ and, and calling upon the people to be saved and come to a knowledge of Christ. And so they couldn't stand it. They hated it so much, they ran up and they cut his tongue out of him while they were parading him through. And with blood gushing, he continued to declare the glories of Christ 
all the way to the point of being burned at the stake. Watch Flame in the Wind. It's by John Huss. He's a bohemian reformer who started the whole process. Who even at the stake is just singing, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. They didn't wilt in the face of the moment. There's that flight fight kind of thing that happens, isn't it? Many times we what? We flee when we should be fighting. And we fight when we should be fleeing. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they got some backbone. And I don't know whether God gave them this, the extra special dose of spiritual backbone at the moment. He might have. Because again, this is all in the midst of Operation Nebuchadnezzar, I think. I don't want to lose that. This isn't just about Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Sometimes it's what we lose. We lose sight of the fact that there's a bigger thing going on. It's not about my pleasure of the moment. It's not about, I want to live the American dream. I didn't get my chance to have something or other. God's working a bigger work. There's a huge tapestry of life that's going on. And I'm just one thread. And my thread is being woven in and out of the threads of many people. And in the end, God's got a beautiful thing going on. And as we talk about the orchestra, the, the harps, the lyres, the flutes, again, God's got a huge symphony going on in life. And I just burp out as an oboe every once in a while. <laughs> you know, you get what I'm saying? I mean, you know, I don't feel like I'm that beautiful violin sometimes. I feel like I'm just, a, I'm just an oboe going, you know, adding it in. Years ago, I went to Augusta Symphony, um, Portnoy, um, that was her thing? Donald. Donald Portnoy was the, uh, the, the conductor. And you got to go, back in those days, you got to go to the, um, the, the dress rehearsals for a buck. Being the frugal individuals we were, we went to the, uh, the dress rehearsals. And um, took the kids. Wanted to expose them to all this kind of stuff. And so I, I always remember this one. Always remember. They had an oriental girl who was going to be the guest pianist guest pianist so they had the, the grand piano out front while they were going to practice she came in with a book this thick this was going to be the score never opened it never opened just set it on on the piano and then they all started and it's beautiful just beautiful then all of a sudden portnoy just stops it what is the deal here and i pick on the oboes because at this very moment donald portnoy pointed to the oboe section they came in wrong. I didn't hear it. They knew it. They knew it. They knew they were burping wrong. And they said, but she, and the minute they said, but she, she grabbed the book and flipped it open to the exact page where they were. That's pretty impressive. But before she could even defend herself, he said, it doesn't matter. She is the one that we are operating it around. And if that's the way she is going to play it, that's the way we are going to play it. You get in line. <laughs> they did it five more times. He kept stopping them at the exact same spot. I didn't hear it. Not one of those times. Even when they finally played it right, I didn't hear any difference. 
But the guy who knew, the guy who knew, did. And that's all that mattered. Do you get it? They ha- you have a part to play. And you have no idea how your part is mixing into the rest of what God is doing in life. And all you are expected to do is to play the notes that you're expected to play when you're expected to play them. And if you don't play it, the beauty of the whole is going to be diminished. These guys played their parts. They made the proper decision. Well, how did it play out from that point? Well, they're thrown in the fire. That's exactly how it played out. They were cast bound into, into the, the fiery furnace. I love the, 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 the way this, the words are given here is to let you know that this wasn't just a, uh, a, a little bitty campfire. This was a hot fire. It was stoked seven times because the king was stoked. The furnace was supposed to match the wrath of the king. Remember Isaiah 14? Okay. And so he has this conversation with them, right? Now he's really more stoked. They didn't do anything to appease the king. There was no compromise situation. Like, well, king, like, you know, we can't do that. But if you let us do this, maybe we can do this. No, does it. And so Nebuchadnezzar is not used to having people, what? Defy him, to rebuff him, right? And this is public. This is in front of everybody, right? And so they stoke the flames, and it's so hot, so hot that what happens? These Kail, these men of Kail, these, 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 these strong men. So he didn't just pick wimpy guys. Okay? He had men of honor, men of might, take these three guys up and throw them into the furnace. And it was so hot at, at, the, at the opening of the furnace that the three guys who threw Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah into the furnace died. Whether they inhaled the heat and it burned their lungs, you can just imagine how they died. Horrid, horrid, horrid. But it lets us know that the flames were so hot that even the three guys who weren't in the flames, who were just close to the flames, died. Did they fall in after they died? You ever wondered that? So they get thrown in. Hands are tied. Legs are tied. They're bound in their clothing. Why is it important that they're in their clothing? They come out with their clothing, and the clothing's not going to be singed, right? But it, that clothing is going to be easy to do what? Catch on fire. And once it catches on fire, they're engulfed. You know, so it's, it's, it's not even like they're just going to be thrown in there and their feet are going to be torched and they, and they can jump out. They're going to be consumed with flames. I mean, it's going to be instant all over. Okay? So they're, they're thrown in, right? And the next thing we see then is, for me to click, they were joined by one like the Son of God. Who, decided, who, who declared that? Nebuchadnezzar did. Nebuchadnezzar, this is his testimony again. And the other day he said, hey, King, <clears throat> King, I don't know how to tell you this. Didn't we just throw, like, three guys in? I'm also wondering, that didn't the three up there die? But there's, like, four people, like, walking around in the furnace right now. Could you imagine Nebuchadnezzar? He's probably, I don't know if he's watching them. He probably saw them thrown in, and he was satisfied. Serves you right, you know? And he's probably going off to do his next dastardly duty, whatever, you know? But then all of a sudden, his advisor's like, uh, <clears throat> king live forever, but... Uh, <clears throat> Didn't we kind of like only throw three guys in there? 
could you imagine his, his head just whooping around like, what are you talking about? Well, uh, I don't know how to tell you this, King, but there's like four guys walking around in that furnace right now. Could you imagine being in Nebuchadnezzar's head at that moment? Do you remember? I mean, could you imagine what the synapses of his brains? This does not compute. This does not compute. How does this play it out? What would you be thinking if you're Nebuchadnezzar? And then he peers in. Now he's got to do it from a distance, right? But clearly he must have had an opening at the bottom in order for the, 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 the airflow to come in, you know, like, like you would for if you're burning leaves and stuff like that, okay? And he looks into that, that opening and he sees what? Four guys walking around. And one of them, he says, is like the Son of Man. Son of God. Now, again, he's a pagan guy. So be careful of bringing this in and saying, oh, he sees Jesus right off the bat. He might have, probably did. This is probably Jesus there. But he doesn't know who Jesus is, okay? So, again, be careful of what we read into things sometimes and yada, yada, yada. I think it probably is. I think the angel of Yahweh throughout the Old Testament is Jesus, uh, a manifestation of Jesus. I don't have a problem with this being a manifestation of Jesus. I don't know who it is. I don't know what it is because this individual doesn't come out of the furnace. Does it make sense? So I, I don't want to, you know, great messages are, 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 are made off of uh, uh, conjecture. I don't have a conjecture on this one. I just know what it says. Pretty cool, though. It was enough that Nebuchadnezzar what? He knew that the Most High God was intervening in some manner. Because all of a sudden there's four guys in there. And this one must have been shining in some manner that he knew it wasn't just a normal guy. And so that when he, we're going to see his words in the end here, right? That the Most High God protected his servants who had enough chutzpah to defy the most powerful man in the world. Pretty cool stuff. <laughs> Finally then, in this nature of it, maybe. Oh, I got to turn it on again. They were protected from the fires. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there's no temptations overtaking you, troublesome situations overtaking you, but such is what? Common to man. Now, I know you've never been burned into a, a, a fiery furnace. Praise the Lord, right? But think about it. Even if you were, you have it on good evidence that God can even do what? Deliver you from that. If he chooses to. If he chooses to. Okay? He may not have chosen them. If, if, if they got burned up in the fire, would that mean that God didn't deliver them? No, he just delivered them another way. I'm looking forward to being delivered from the fiery furnace, aren't you? Think this one through. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, what happens to you? You're going into a fiery furnace. Jesus says, that's the part with Matthew 13 as well, talking about um, that. But in Mark chapter 9, I think it is, is where he talks about, about it's better to have your hands cut off than to be cast into a, the, the, the fiery furnace where the flames do not, are not quenched. There is a place where to hell, quote-unquote hell, is separation from God, and it's where we will be in great darkness, but we'll be feeling like our bodies are being burned continually forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Do you understand? I praise God that Jesus delivered me from the fiery furnace. I don't, have, I, I don't fear that aspect for after I die. <clears throat> and so 
God, Isaiah 52 talks about Yahweh being the God of salvation, or of our salvation. And the, again, these guys would know that. There are countless psalms that I could have put up there as well, uh, being that Yahweh is the God of deliverance. He is the God of deliverance. Even for those Christians who died at the mouth of the lions, even for those Christians who died at the flames of the stake, do you understand? They had their deliverance. It just came through the portals of death. That's what Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah knew. That God was the God of deliverance. Whether it was going to come physically in that moment or whether it was going to come eternally, God would be the one who delivered them. And God chose to do it this way. And so they were protected from the flames. He didn't have to do it, but he did do it for them. So what was the result? Nebuchadnezzar's proclamation of God. Again, we have this... Second time where we read then that Nebuchadnezzar is going to do this. Beginning of verse 26. And Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. He recognized who they were. Isn't that kind of something? He remembered who they were. He knew who they were. They were just defying him, and he couldn't stand it. Most servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire and the satraps, administrators, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together. Could you imagine this moment? Who are these guys? Good job. They're the, they're the three. But all these other guys are the princes, the satraps. And the, these are guys who bowed. These are the guys who compromised. These are the guys who gave in. Do you think any of these guys are probably thinking, Nebuchadnezzar is really full of himself this time. And they just did what? Do you think that every single one of them were bowing down to worship? Or were they bowing down to save their own skin? Some of them may have been bowing down to worship. I don't have a problem with that. Some of them probably bowing down to save their own skin. And now these guys gathered together to watch who? To look at who? The ones who didn't. The ones who had the chutzpah to do what they knew was right to do. Yeah, that's even good, Chuck. And some of them were the ones who turned them in. Ah, we got these Jews now. <laughs> Pretty something, huh? Anyways, so they gathered together and they saw these men on whom the, the on whose body the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not even on them. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel his messenger, and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's word. Can you imagine the humbleness having to say this? They have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or language, any people, nation, or language, why does that play out? It's the same terminology as everyone who had to come and worship this, this image. Which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made into an ash heap, because there is no other God who can deliver like this. He's not only the revealer of secrets, he's the deliverer from the fire. Now we're going to figure out next week that he still hasn't got it. He's just adding things to what he, th- he thinks he knows about the Most High God. You know, but he's still special. But then he finishes it off with what? A promotion. The promotion of these three. 
And so they get, they get ascended even higher now in the, in the process of all these things. And so, again, God doesn't promise us that he's gonna, we're not going to get fired from our job and then we're going to get hired back if we stand, take a stand for Christ. Sometimes we, we deal with the consequences. God allows that. But what I have to be confident in is that my God is what? He's able. My God is able. Whether he chooses to at this moment or not, I don't know. But I know he can. That's where my faith is. I have the faith of a mustard seed. At this very moment, God, I believe, help me in my, my unbelief. I know that you're able to do this. And therefore, I will walk forward into this. So, in the end, have you trusted in the Son of God to deliver you from the flames of hell? I don't know exactly everybody here from that perspective. I assume, I can assume, oh yeah, yeah, they know the Lord. But you know whether you really do. And in the end, it's not a matter of pleasing me. It's not a matter of pleasing your wife or your husband. It's not a matter of pleasing your mom or your dad or your kids. It's a matter that you're going to stand before the God who knows all things. Are you trusting God to deliver you through the fires of adversity? How easy is it for you to compromise your faith in God in the light of the fear of man? I get it. I'm a work in progress too. We're all works in progress. But it's got to be my prayer before God. God, I want to magnify you at all times. I don't want to compromise. Help me in my unbelief. Because in that moment, we were talking about in Sunday school, it's when I'm forgetting God. I'm forgetting who God is. He's the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He's the God who's able to deliver from a fiery furnace. He's the God that is able to make me, even if I'm eating green beans, be buff. Do you get it? He's the God who's able to reveal to me somebody else's dream and interpretation of the dream if I really need to. My God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that I could ever ask or think. Therefore, is there a need to change the way I think and therefore change the way I act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy to us. You alone are the Most High God. There is no other God but you. And I'm grateful to you, Father, that you have done mighty things in my life and through my life. Lord, I, I, I acknowledge the fact that I am so, too easy to compromise at times. I, I don't even need a fiery furnace staring me in my face. Forgive me for that, Lord. Lord, help me to have the faith of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Help me to take a stand on what I know is true. And I pray that the same for everyone in this congregation, Lord, that you would help us to be ones who stand firm on your word, confident that there is a hereafter and that you would be magnified by my lips on that day when you gather to give people from every tribe and tongue and language and nation and we stand before your throne and give you glory for your redemption. Be magnified, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.